You're listening to Around Comics. You're listening to Around Comics, the comic book podcast, where we talk about everything in and around the world of comics. I am Brian Salazar, and with me as always is Christopher Eastman. How are you, Chris? Good. Hello. Hola. Como está? Muy bien. Oh, I can't hear you all of a sudden. What happened? Hello? Yes, no? Your mic's off. I mean, it's very quiet. Oh, do, I'll turn it up. I don't Are know. Closer? And then there's Tom. Hi, Tom. Tired Tom. Hi. Tired. I'm just tired. Chris, kids think, are beating him down. Yeah, Chris, I think something happened with your mic. You turned it off or something. Because it's not a volume thing. It's like I'm anything. Yes. No. No. I hear it, Chris. You do? Yeah. Well, that's weird. Huh. I mean, I can kind of hear him. How about now? Try again. Streamyard had me all goofed there we up. Go. Is that better? Now yes. I'm strong. You're yes, powerful, <laughs> powerful, powerful stream. Good. Sorry about powerful that. Stream. Hi. It's very important at this age <laughs> is to have a powerful stream. Otherwise, I, yes. Yes. Yeah. Issues. Yeah. Unfortunately, the powerful stream usually starts about like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> We're so old. Depends on how much tea. See, you know I'm getting old because I'm 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 curling up with a nice cup of tea. I was telling Sal beforehand. Uh, uh, Marta and I went out. It's the last weekend of the traveling beer garden, which is a 2020 thing, I think. So we have the traveling socially distanced beer garden, which goes around to different parks around Milwaukee. It's actually been a nice way to get a tour of the city parks and that kind of stuff. But it was so cold today. I had like a beer and like half a white claw and came home. It's like I'm gonna put some tea on it's summer is over have you tried the uh the truly's the which ones the truly lemonade they're, they're lemonade and sparkling water with booze in them no they're pretty tasty <laughs> and i accidentally drank like 12 of them <laughs> yes yes you can definitely down uh they sounds I mean, dangerous they're, yeah they're pretty good though I will. Uh, if you like the white claws i think you'll like a truly as well okay. you know i don't think i actually like the white claws no, <laughs> you just drink them. I it was the first time because we were going to the park and and Marta doesn't drink beer anymore. You know she's a she's a she's a wine drinker and she'll you know have have liquor you know from time to time. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll pick up this this White Claw variety pack and you know Marta might Marta might like some of that. And uh, and and yeah, neither one of us are fans. So we've got like ten White Claws in the in the the garage refrigerator that will probably be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> See, I drink I drink sparkling water like uh, all the time. Just oh, to... Lacroix. Yeah, we drink Lacroix all the time. So I like I kind of like the White Claw, but uh, yeah, the uh, the Trulies have a little more flavor. The, okay. the lemonade ones have a tiny bit of sugar, like it's like two carbs or something. Yeah, it's not bad, but 
they're much more flavorful. Yeah, it's like I want to taste the booze, you know. It's, it's <laughs> anyway. It's um, it's uh, it's Sal's Sal's pick for the book of the monthish, and and I believe that we are all read up on it. I I did I read well I read it before but I read yeah it. yeah so I, yeah I actually I once I got into the beginning of it I realized oh yeah I've read this too and uh, but it had been I think when it came out so um, so Sal's pick was uh, Starlight Volume One which I think there is only one volume it's from uh, Mark Miller and Goran Parlov and uh, yeah what it's your pick Sal so why don't you start us off. Uh, sure. I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, read this when it first came out in, in single issues and, um, you know, the thing I liked about it a lot, it's, it's not a, and I think I, I alluded to this when we first talked about the book is, um, it has a little bit of the feel of like what, what, uh, Tom King and Mitch are doing with a strange adventure where it's mm-hmm. sort of taking the idea of a, uh, you know, this uh, a hero that travels to another world and, and, you know, the John Carter of Mars kind of prototype um, and telling the story about him after that, uh, what happens to him when he comes back home after he saved the planet and and uh, comes back home and sort of, you know, you know, just grows up and grows old and he becomes an old man. Um, and it's not... but With, it's, with really dickish kids. With kids are assholes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think, but as you read the book, though, well, I'll I'll get to that part. But it's not like the difference between this and say, you know, Strange Adventures is that it's not delving into sort of the uh, postmodern. It's not taking like a postmodern look at it necessarily and, and examining like the the Lawrence of Arabia thing, you know, where the, the white knight hero going to a, um, uh, you know, a, a different culture and being the savior. Um, it's not examining it from that perspective. Um, and it's not a, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a deep book in any way, but it's a, I feel like it's a really elegant story. Like it's very simple. It's, it's very clean. It's it's straightforward and and you know, um, you know there's some touching moments in it and it's it's exciting adventure and, and that kind of thing and I, I like it a lot just for the simplicity of it. Um, but I think you know like you talked about the the kids and yeah there's more, you know, like you see where well just to give people if you haven't read the book a little idea of what the story is about is there's this, this guy Duke McQueen and. He, at one point in his life, when he was a young man, uh, traveled you know, to this faraway planet, and he became the savior of this planet and rescued them and was, uh, you know, uh, honored and, and memorialized, and they built statues for him. And then he came home, and he, and he grew up, and he became an old man, and now he's, he's this old guy with kids. And he had uh, this wife that he loved very much. They had this wonderful, you know, marriage and life together, but she dies of cancer. And now he's just sort of alone and, and his glory years are behind him and his kids aren't sure what to do with him now um, because they have their own lives and, and they don't really want to be stuck necessarily taking care of their father, you know, which is, is understandable in some ways. And I think also... 
what I got from it a little bit was the idea that he was so sort of stuck in the path, not just with his glory days on this planet being a savior. Um, while that's a big part of it, but also, you know, he, he's lost his companion, his wife, mm-hmm. and it's sort of this thing that he doesn't know how to get past. He doesn't know how to get beyond it and move on. He, he is and, kind of waiting to die. Is yeah, how you he, felt. he's not, you know, he's not that old. Like he's, you know, he's probably what? And he's like 62, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's not like he's in his 80s and he's a very physically fit 62 you know, year old guy. But he just like, because he's stuck in the past, he can't, I don't think he has much of a relationship with his kids. So they're, well, you say, you know, he's got dick kids. I think it also, it's a two-way street. You know, when you, you know, I've recently kind of gone through something with an older, not a, not a parent, um, but my uncle passed away this year. And, and up until he had died, it was my sister and I and my other sisters and siblings were sort of taking care of him and trying to figure out what to do with him and how to best, you know, make him happy in his last years of his life. But at the same time, it's like we have our lives. We have, you know, I have kids and my family and my house and I'm here. And it's a very difficult thing when you're in that situation. I, I didn't go through it with my parents. They had both passed away, you know, re- relatively quickly, um, you know, it, it, you know, by comparison, it wasn't like a long drawn out thing where we had to, uh, and they were both um, very able to take care of themselves up until their death. So I didn't go through that with him, with them, but I went through it with my uncle to some degree. And so it's like, you're trying to figure out like, how do you best, you know, take care of this person, but you're in this situation where it's, it's not a, it's a very inconvenient thing. It's a very difficult thing to deal with when you're trying to raise kids and, and, and you have a job and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I can understand to some degree. But I also think a lot of times when we get older, we, we get um, less connected to our kids sometimes and, and to the people around us. And I think that that was part of the... Um, the story here was that he was so stuck in his past that he didn't have a relationship with his kids because he couldn't relate to them or they didn't understand him. He was this kind of heroic character at one point, but now he's just, you know, he's just this old guy who is grieving his wife and, and doesn't know how to get past it. So I think that was another story that I enjoyed. And, yeah. and so what happens then is, is these young revolutionaries that grew up idolizing him on this planet that he saved and sort of idolizing Americana life and, and those kind of things, they now need his help. So they come and, and, and get him uh, and and get him to come back to the planet and be the savior. He's not sure if he's up to the task. But, uh, you know, very he, Danny Glover uh, with yeah. a weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he does go, and, and you know there, he, he fights uh, he fights the, the bad guys once again. But he, he, it's a learning process. Like he's learning how to deal with like this young group of kids that he doesn't quite understand. And, and while they sort of idolize him, some of them do. Some of them think it's like you know why is this guy here? And it, it's that generation gap thing. It's a very you know common sort of thing. Um, and I think part of it is like him learning 
that he can still be valuable. He can still have a relationship. He can, and at the end of it, you kind of see that. You see him repair his relationship and get beyond this. And, and you know, while he has sort of one more glory day, one more day in the sun, he also sort of recognizes the fact like his life's not over just because maybe his adventuring days are over. Like there's another part of his life, the family that he's created, and can't just like ignore that because he's no longer a hero. And uh, I, that's what I kind of like. I, I, I enjoyed it as, you know, as an old guy myself. <laughs> I kind of really, enjoy, you don't really see too many stories in comics about that kind of person. You know what I mean? Like an older sort of, of hero that uh, is, is, is still trying to figure out what to do with their life at 62, which isn't that old. You know what I mean? Like uh, you, you still have a lot of life in you. It's just sort of how you decide, you, you know, to live it sure and it was him being kind of thrust back into that role of being a hero you know energizes him and and gives him you know this you know because he he looks and acts and feels old at the beginning of this of the series and you know by the time he's he's a you know action hero again it's like he he you know has all this life kind of you know just like pushed back into him but uh you know the 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 idea and the theme that i you know kind of kept coming back to is that you know he was the he was the um was he he was an air force pilot right or was it astronaut i think he was an astronaut astronaut. so astronaut disappears and and you can imagine that the you know the entire world is aware of his disappearance and he comes back much much later and they're like oh you know duke where have you been he's like oh i was you know off saving this entire civilization and they're like okay he's lost his mind and nobody believes him you know including his family his wife says that she does and you think that she might but she might not but she loves him and his kids seem really sketchy about it and so he's he's like not i mean he is a global hero of this freed civilization and he comes back as you know what would be an honored astronaut and no one believes him. So he has to live the rest of his life on earth as kind of a laughing stock. And then, you know, this, the switch gets flipped and all of a sudden he's this, you know, revered global treasure again. And, uh, I, I thought that was, I thought that was neat. How, how Miller works that in. And it's really, it's, I mean, he does heroic stuff, but it's really his, his reputation and his ability to inspire people around him is what ends up being how he, you know, how he comes back and, and wins this conflict. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. Like he realizes like he doesn't have to necessarily be the same man he was once. It's his legacy that is still important you know like what he's left behind what he's he's, he did to inspire the people of this planet the young people of this planet um that grew up with his stories and are inspired by his his courage and bravery and heroics and all that kind of thing it's like like, um he i think he kind of realized oh i you know i did do something important i i am still you know relevant and I think that's a very common thing with people as they age, you know, um, you know, what, what is my legacy? 
what I left behind. I think it's something anyone that gets old it probably starts to think about. You guys are old. I'm young. <laughs> I was waiting for a barb from Tom. No, that was I'm the old. pregnant pause there. I feel it. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I always admire how Miller is able to make things so digestible, you know, as as a six-issue story. It, it's always just like an easy, pleasurable read with him and, you know, with the artist uh, doing such a great job of telling story and hitting the emotional notes. But it's like I, I kind of flew through it, and it was quite pleasurable. Yeah. Well, the thing that you always get with with Miller is that you know he's going to stick a landing. I, I don't know if I've ever read a Mark Miller story where I didn't feel like it had a a very you know satisfying ending. He really knows. Even how wanted, to, huh? <laughs> Even wanted. <laughs> I don't think wanted had a very satisfying ending for most people I mean, well i i was fine with it i mean that was i mean that was kind of his he was just giving people the middle finger yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's you know yeah well he stuck he stuck the landing the way he wanted to there but it's it miller knows how to how to tell a complete story it's yeah. you know yeah, and I this would, one, you could see a starlight too. Yeah, he, he he always knows how to how to how to tell tell a complete story, but also um, leave it where there could easily be a sequel. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> gotta leave yourself open to it. But no. it's like a nice chunk, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a beginning, middle, and then and it's like, oh, that's nice. Yes, yes. I think, I think like beginning comic book writers should look at the pacing of this six issues as an example of like this is how you tell a clean story like this is this is extremely well paced like the, the beats are all there it's, it's almost like perfect in, in in the way that he lays it out um and i was shocked after i read it the first time of like oh this is gonna absolutely be a, a movie or you know what i mean like it's it's, it's perfectly written for a script i mean almost like a script uh, already, I think they are. Aren't they making something on Netflix of it? I think. Uh, I, yeah. I think so. But <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of stuff that that Miller is involved with. I mean, he's got what that exclusive. What well, is it? First look uh, that Netflix has for all of his stuff. Yeah, I don't know what the details of the yeah. of the well, are, but yeah, I think they certainly own the rights to anything that he's, uh, that he's done from a Miller world. Marvel. I know when he did uh, you know, like Chrononauts, it has a Netflix tab on it. So. Well, I think they just bought the whole Miller world. Like, they, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they own it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, what was this, what was the, who published Starlight? It's Image. Is it Image? Okay. Yeah. Is that, is that what he's still, is he still printing his Miller World stuff through Image? Is that the... I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's still all Image. Okay. It's, uh, well, you mentioned uh, what Wanted. That was that was Top Cow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a Top Cow book. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Can we... Uh, I do want to... I do want to... Uh, I have a sort of a personal note on this book, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um... I, 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 want, I want to point out how amazing Warren Parlov is. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorite Punisher artists of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
But, but I think this is even like better stuff than the. I mean, as much as I love the Punisher stuff, mm-hmm. like because he's able to kind of stretch his legs. Oh, he gets to go cosmic with this and, yeah. and draw, you know, cool retro like '50s sci-fi, which is who wouldn't want to do that? But when this came out originally, I actually tweeted at him. Uh, a question which I didn't, you know, really expect him to answer, but he did. And, and I, because when I read it, I'm like, man, it almost looks like, like he did no sketching for this art. Like it was just, if I got the feeling like it just flowed out of his pencil without any kind of underdrawing anything. I asked him, like, are your pencils as effortless as they look? Like they look like you have, you are able to sit there and draw a page without even you know thinking about it. Like it just like flows out of your and he and he tweeted back at me and he showed me a bunch of pencils, and it was like it was it was there was like no underlying to it. It was almost identical to what you really see on the page like every page. Just like oh my god, it's amazing how good he is. He's, uh, and yeah, he's I don't awesome. like that many people talk about his stuff. Well, I mean, look, look. I mean, go back to that that page where 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 Duke is jumping off that car. I mean, look how much energy yeah. are in those panels. And, and, and if you if you go back, to, I don't. I'm going to try and pull up the tweets that you sent me because it was really interesting to see the pencil stuff. But if you go back to Twitter for like my name and his name together in a, in a tweet, you'll you'll find them, and they're really. Like beautiful pencil where it's just like it, I mean, other than like the black, it's all right there in pencils, and there's almost no like sketch or underdrawing to it. It's it's like he just is able to go. Well, this is what I'm going to draw, and, and he just does it. And there's no, you know, what I mean, like there's no work to it. It's it's ridiculous. It, it, it's sickening how good he is. Yeah, he's all. What is has he been working on anything recently? I don't know. I haven't seen anything from him in, in a little while. I'm not. I'm not yeah. sure what he's. Because uh... he's he's Eastern European, I believe, right? Yeah, Polish. I want to say. Mm. Um, Croatian. I'm sorry, Croatian. Croatian. Yeah. He's not a young man uh, either. He's uh, he's actually older than me. Oh, he's. I mean, he was doing Punisher Max in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's one of those. He's one of those. Uh, well, it's like whenever Marvel would put out the Young Guns, you know, a guy who had been working in the industry for like fifteen years. <laughs> young Gun, Goran Gar- Parlov. Oh, it looks like Starlight is going to be an animated film from Netflix. Cool. Well, hopefully he's really involved then. And they base everything on his on his designs. Yeah, it looks like he he may be. I don't know. Oh, maybe not. I don't know what it is. I don't know. He's. he's I'm just looking at his Twitter feed right now. So there's. Uh, yeah, I don't know what he's doing, really, but yeah, I can't give enough of his stuff. He he's he, he has something about like the way, like he gives volume to his characters. I really like the the structure that he's able to give his characters in in a very simple way. Like he doesn't do a whole lot of line work. It's it's very you know simple and elegant, and but he he does great volume. In those characters, I think, like in the bodies and muscles and all the stuff that he does, and uh, great. Why his characters look poofy? poofy. <laughs> yeah, I like poofy. Why? That's why I always liked his Frank Castle because it looked like a forty-something, 
you know, even, you know, like early fifties grizzled Vietnam vet. He, you know, he oh, looked yeah. jowly and, and kind of, you know, he looked like a guy that would kill a bunch of people. With his yeah. Family. He looked rough. He looked like a guy who had been, you know, run, you know, run hard and hung up wet. And I always liked his Punisher looked, you know, grizzled um without you know without being gritty you know like a lot of a lot of artists would you know kind of over overdo that his punisher just looked he looked weathered but uh you know what whenever that, one of the things that, that bad guy remember the bad guy in the punisher stuff the the uh the dude with the like bald head and huge like torso oh yes what was his name i can't remember his name uh, Oh, you're gonna kill me! Um, he was a great villain for Punisher. That whole that whole Ennis Parlov run, and there were there were a few artists on that that Punisher Max run that I look back now, and it's like, oh yeah, him. It's like Leonardo Fernandez who did uh, the Old Guard. Uh, he did some of those uh, Punisher Max arcs well Miller's like one of those dudes that also that has such a great eye for talent you know like oh yeah he's always he's like remender you know like remender one of the guys that wrote, however he does it like that dude has worked with some amazing artists over the years like he just continues to, see, to seemingly find great artists to work with and uh but miller does that too like he seems that has a really good eye for talent yeah, you know, I was uh, I was thinking one of my other like nineteen fifties, you know, like future retro comics like, like Tom Strong. I mean, I love that mm-hmm. book. You know, how much different is is Starlight if if Chris Rouse does the art? <sighs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Rouse is. Uh, I don't think he gets the same power necessarily. Yeah. That Parlov gives his characters, you know, like, uh, but it's a yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, to show you how important the art is, I, I think I think a Chris Sprouse drawn Starlight would have been awesome, but you know, but to pick Goran Parlov, who I think at that point was probably you know not known for you know sci-fi, was uh, was an interesting choice, and it worked awesome. He did. He did. Um, I also love the idea of like how the, the 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 young kids on the planet really like were into fifties um, Americana. <laughs> called, like, they were like greasers, and, and they had like hot rods and and wore leather jackets and Elvis hair, and it was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting, you know, sort of like Cold War era throwback, you know, the throw in there. Even though they were getting like '90s and maybe even like early 2000s um, uh, transmissions from Earth, you know, because the the guys asking about about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and so they're I mean, so they're getting like modern stuff, but yeah, that that whole the whole like retro thing uh, was yeah. It wasn't I, I, a big like. I want to say, like in Japan, like wasn't there a big thing at one point? Like the the, the Japanese youth was like huge into like the research. I think it still is probably. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I think there's you know, but I mean the ja- there's always something Rock-a-day. like that in Japan. Yeah, the 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 Japanese greasers, and yeah, they they had like you know, know they had girls wearing. Wear- 
I huh? want it to be true. Like, I just want to think that there's a bunch of, like, Japanese street gangs running around, you know. No, but, like, yeah, they'd have, like, girls wearing poodle skirts. Yeah. And, yeah, and bars that were dedicated to, like, 1950s Americana. That's <laughs> Which is kind of weird if you think about it. It's like, you know, we had just dropped the bomb on them. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they don't remember that. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Those spoiler fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, as they were rebuilding. But uh yeah, it's uh what did I see? It's like now they uh, I saw like there's one bar in in it's Japan or it's I think it's Japan, but it's uh it's they recreated Central Perk and it's all like friends themed. Oh god. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're taking the best of us, Sal. The only, the only good friends uh, recreation is when um, always in Philadelphia dinner. That's the, that's the, that's the <laughs> I have not seen that. Oh. <laughs> I started watching. Uh, I got like in the uh, black hole. Uh, on YouTube of watching outtakes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia this season. I saw that they were posting those. Are they, there's that many of them? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I mean, it, you know, it's just bloopers and, okay. you know, they're doing a lot of ad-libbing and, and sort of just, you know, those guys are very spontaneous. Spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Thank you. There you go. And um, I think they, they, Sort of go, you know, wing it a lot with stuff and try. Well, Charlie and, Day is awesome. Yeah, really funny. Yeah. But um, uh, I also, there's an interesting interview. I don't know. I don't know why I'm gonna, always in Sunny in Philadelphia yeah. here, but um, the guy who plays uh, uh, the weirdo, the, 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 the one weirdo family, I can't think of the name. Oh, the McBoyles. The McBoyles. Yeah. So he was like a friend of Charlie Day. They lived together, and they were both like young actors. Oh, is this the guy who who played who played the 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 in uh, Westworld? Um, he was the the young version of the the man in the black hat. For yeah. yes. yes, yes, yeah. And he was on Psych. I always, I always, I yeah, love him a, on Psych. He's a really good actor. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he plays that. Absolutely insane, hilarious McBoyle character who is just so weird and, and uh, creepy and just amazing. And uh, and so they were talking to him about like you know where that character came from and stuff and like how did he? And he's like, well, you know, when I lived with Charlie, we would just start filming stuff for ourselves. Like we would just like you know make videos and and like write stuff to do just to act. Just to do stuff, you know what I mean? Like we, we weren't doing any work, we weren't doing anything. Like we would just make our own videos to make our friends laugh. And, and he's like, and I knew pretty quickly, like Charlie, I'm never gonna be the sort of frantic, hilarious comedy that Charlie does. He's he's molten lava, like he's wild card, bitches. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, he's like <laughs> I knew I was never gonna be able to compete with that. But I knew I could be weirder than him. Like, I <laughs> like, like making weird characters. And then when they started Sunny, Charlie came to, hey man, I want you to do like one of your weird characters on Always Sunny. He's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know, I may not be as funny or clever, but I can be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he talked to asked him about like, 
do you ever, you know, he's like a classically trained actor and like, you know, he's obviously a very good actor. And, yeah. and he's, and they're like, do you ever, are you ever frustrated because so many people think of you as, as, as that character? He's like, no, he's like, I, he's like, I just, I nailed it. I, you know, it's like if that many people react to that character, then I did it right. Like, that's what I was, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that's an awesome answer. Like, don't, you know, like, don't get too uh, serious about it when, you know, but that, that, that character is probably my favorite on that show. Oh, you know, yeah. uh, anyway, speak- back to, well, I was going to say, speaking of, of, of TV and, and retro and, and all of that stuff, um, I, I fell down the Cobra Kai uh, oh, rabbit yeah. hole, <laughs> yeah, is so. I'm wrapping up season one. It is so good. I don't think they could have done a better job with it. I don't. I don't think they could have taken it like and kept the sort of cheesy heart of the original series, and and simultaneously they kind of make fun of it, but also they still nail the sort of you know what you like of that sh- that movie. It is so shockingly good. It's, it's so shockingly good. Guy, he's so. <laughs> I just love that he's an absolute like caveman, just dick, completely inappropriate, and and you know politically incorrect uh, asshole, but trying to be better. Like he's yeah, being, yeah. <laughs> Do, doing good in spite of himself. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, I I love it, and I mean it's I mean it's definitely I mean it's a Romeo and Juliet story with you know Miguel and 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 Sam Larusso and you know that they actually were able to turn Daniel kind of into the bad guy for a little while oh, yeah. was pretty oh, brilliant. Sure. Oh wait till season two, man! You don't even know like oh. season two will break your heart. Like season, oh, no. there's no. a season two. They do it so well of like they think. You think like these guys are finally going to like, reconcile, yeah, and they break your heart with it. It's just, it's just yeah. you know, like, oh no, yeah, I, 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 I love the scene where where Johnny finds out that Miguel is is dating Daniel's daughter and he's like sit down let me tell you about the LaRussos and you get like the whole karate kid movie from Johnny's perspective, yeah. And it's like, oh, Daniel was really a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Tortured me in high school. <laughs> the guy is like karate. Is his karate uh, teacher like beat up me and my friends? And you know, it was awful. You know, it's all yeah. guy showed up and beat the shit out of a bunch of high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> and master martial arts. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's so it's so just like it's perfect. You know, you're talking about back to you know Starlight, um, you know pacing and just when when you experience something and you're just like it's it's right. You know, it's almost like a warm bath. You know, just everything is right about it. Uh, that's how Cobra Kai is and and, and Starlight. So we'll go back to that before we before we uh, we move on. Uh, one of the things. And it goes with the pacing, and I know that you can't fit everything in, but one of the things I wish I had learned more about or he was able to expound on was this whole Kingfisher family. You see little snippets of them because there's like this ruling class family over this entire planet, and and they seem like just the worst, most horrible 
douchebaggy people ever. And I wanted to see and learn more about them. But, you know, he was so good about keeping, you know, on point with the story. I think that if this ever became like a series and not a Netflix movie, I think that's where your space to expand is, is in that, is in that whole Kingfisher family. Yeah, for sure. You could, you could, you could see that happening in a series, you know, to try and fill in more episodes, that kind of thing. But I think sometimes you like, I don't know. I think sometimes it's a mistake too, because you got, you know, like with this, it's like he gives you just enough. It's the same thing, like with his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, like his wife is barely in the book, but he does such a great job of, of you know, there's that scene. I don't know if you remember the scene of, in the beginning, the first issue where they're out to dinner and the, they see this young couple and she's mm-hmm. sort of like, oh, that's so sweet. And then she buys them their dinner and they leave. And it's like that little perfect moment of like you, you instantly fall in love with her as a character because she's so sweet and kind. And then she dies. Yeah. And like, in like, Four or five frames. Yeah, yeah, and but that how good of writing. You know, that's good writing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you don't well, anymore. And, than- and then from the visual storytelling side, then at the end of the story where all of the family is together and everyone's reconciled, and it's of course it's her portrait, you know, above right. the mantle in the dining room. So she's there too, you know. Or, or, or even her death. I mean, all you, all you, it's one scene. Where yeah. it goes from that to her going, is this a lump? Mm-hmm. And then it's her funeral. And you don't yeah. need any more information than that. You know what I mean? Like you understand it completely just from those like two scenes. It's it's really, really well done yeah. comic book storytelling. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It, it is yeah. that's and that's what I mean. Like it's not a it's not like some deep dive sort of examination of comics it's not some sort of they didn't have to have an issue of her going to the cardiologist yeah it's just it's it's a well drawn well paced well written Mm -hmm. character story that also has a bunch of aliens in it you know what i mean like but it's just simple and elegant it's it's and you don't see enough of that i think you don't see enough just sort of simply elegant stories you know, everybody kind of gets. What was um, too deep into the, into their own? You um, you would uh, you would point um, sentient by uh, Jeff Lemire, and I forget the. Oh yeah, that that's uh, that was another example of just you know, elegant storytelling, and it's out there. I think storytelling, like simple and yeah. you know, telling everything. I mean, then you know, I really love like his cover work because his covers told you a story, you know, before you ever open the book. You know, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I really appreciate that kind of stuff now. You know, like as much as I, I you know, it's like I appreciate other stuff too. Obviously, it's not and like everything doesn't have to be that way. But I think like a lot of writers, there's a book I've been reading that's been coming out um, called uh, "That Test Is Blood." And um, it's, I, I believe the artist is Jacob Phillips, who I believe is Sean Phillips' son. Oh, really? I believe so, because I, I believe that Sean Phillips' son. And it's very, it looks, the art looks sort of Sean Phillips-ish. And the book is very much a Brubaker Phillips. Sean Phillips, did he color pulp? 
No, his son. I believe his son did. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. been doing the coloring on all the, the their stuff for a while now, I think. Jacob Phillips. There you go. So, yeah. so, but this is his own book. And it's a very Brubaker Phillips type of book. It's, it's set in Texas and it's a murder and crime written kind of thing. And it's good, but it's, you know, the flaw in it, if there is one, is, is, is the writing is a little heavy handed. It's a little too, it's trying to be too. Um, it was a dark and stormy night. A little bit. A little <laughs> yeah. bit to it. It's not bad. It's not. It's, it's a good book. I've enjoyed it so far. But there's a little bit of that to it. And you can kind of see, like, yeah, this is a writer that's not real competent yet. Like, just doesn't have the confidence to to leave that kind of stuff out. And, and let the audience figure out the story from a more sticks, you know, telling and, and, you know, flip that with like this, where it's like, this is a masterful writer who is incredibly confident and probably has been his entire life. Like, you know what I mean? Like Miller's you know, always been confident, but like, you can just see it. Like he, he's not worried about anyone not getting this. You're going to get it. He knows you're yeah. He's done it a million times, you know, and, and it's just, that's the difference of like, Someone who is is more willing to leave stuff out. Yeah. Um, it's amazing the amount of work that he's put together. But, I mean, you think about it. Miller's been in the end. I mean, we're going on 30 years now. I, yeah. I mean, you got to start, you know, like putting him on lists of, you know, the great comic book writers out there for sure. Oh, like, yeah. You're going on a list. He's going <laughs> You're on a list, Mark Miller. You're on my list, buddy. You're on a list now. Yeah. And like, like stuff that's been optioned and deals and whatnot. Dude, Mark Miller has made some bank. Oh, yeah. I mean, is there a more, like, has anyone made more money than him? Not in the last 20 years, I don't think. Like I, have, you know, I don't know. Making it rain. He is, yeah. It's a, well, he is from Scotland, so there's a lot of rain. So <laughs> he is a, see a Glaswegian, I believe. I no idea. Well, yeah, I think. Well, he he was. I don't want to say protege, but that was kind of the thing. Is that uh, is that he and Morrison uh, were? I, he kind of like whenever he first came onto the scene, it was you know. So this is Grant Morrison's protege, and I think they. Uh, I don't know if they had a falling out, but that uh, that relationship didn't. I don't think it lasted really long, but. Uh, uh, I think Morrison kind of had something to do with getting him into the industry. I may be wrong, but that's I, I seem to recall that. It's Chris's his, drama corner. Uh, it, well, it's 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 the three. It was uh, it was Who's Morrison got beef with who? It was Morrison and, um, and <laughs> quietly and Miller. We're all we're all kind of in the that Glasgow Scotland scene. Welcome to the beef corner. <laughs> Come get yourself five minutes of beef as we talk about what comic creators don't like each other. <laughs> we could. We probably have a much more viewed a YouTube page if we did yeah. that weekly basis. <laughs> Just make if up you're a comic creator. You can anonymously yeah. send in something. That we'll read about another creator. <laughs> it's not. It's not around comics anymore. It's CMZ. Yeah. 
Tell me more. We'll start with we just... uh, Mark or uh, uh, Mike Mignola <laughs> having beef with uh, all of his fans. <laughs> Enough with with everyone. Oh, yeah. oh, Did you see that, Chris? Did you see the, the Mignola? No, the last thing I heard about Mignola was with the the Scott Alley brouhaha. He uh, so Mignola posted a pencil sketch of Hellboy wearing a, a Biden uh, a Harris t-shirt 2020 and it said vote and he's wearing a mask and the the list of dummies that were trying to tell mark or mike uh (laughs) should or do with hellboy like you shouldn't do that with hellboy he wouldn't do that what do you mean he wouldn't do that (laughs) (laughs) he invented him I got to uh, pause because I bought a T-shirt for this exact reason. I'm gonna go get it. So I was I was laughing my ass off reading the thread of like idiot, and, it's, and I especially love the the complete dorks that like have some shitty fucking GoFundMe comic book they're working on. <laughs> yeah. I think that that somehow equates to them, you know, being justified yeah. in telling like you know. One of the great artists. This thing you made, which is uh, so unique and has been so successful, I'm going to tell you exactly how how you should do it. Yeah, I love. (laughs) Just like, come on, are you like how how (laughs) fucking delusional and narcissistic do you have to be? It's like fuck off. (laughs) I mean, like legitimately try and explain yourself. Of why Hellboy would never do that, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be political. Like, <laughs> I, I put, I'm like, I, 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 uh, these are the same idiot. With these are the same idiots that would like tell Jack Kirby, a Jew who you know, yeah. what fought in World War II. Why uh, would you punch Hitler? Yeah, <laughs> I just walked in and I heard, I heard Sal go, a Jew. I was like. What what happened? Captain America, just another member of the intolerant left. <laughs> you guys, you guys read this guy's comics? <laughs> I think I've seen that before. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. His the comics are awesome. I, it's what Jake, Jacob Pyle or Jonathan oh Pyle? My God. I just love it when people see like a sketch of Hellboy wearing a T-shirt, and it just like causes them. This like the anger to well up inside of them. <laughs> like you don't have obviously, my anger is like, real. Dude, you you need like an outlet, like a real life thing. You need something in your fucking life. Yeah, you moron. I just, like, I'm so angry about this. I, 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 character. I, I mean, whatever. Like politically, you know, whatever you believe in or yeah. root for, or whatever. But it's like. The idea of like saying Hellboy shouldn't be political. It's like, dude, he punches Nazis constantly. <laughs> like that's his whole. Yeah, he, really hates he works for the government. That's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. I quote. I, I, I use a Hellboy quote all the time. Whenever there's a Nazi on TV, I'm always just like. Ugh, Nazis. Man, those guys were everywhere. <laughs> They're the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Where did we lose, we lose sight that they're like, bad guys? We use them all the time because we're like, oh, that's obviously a bad guy. 
<laughs> Which Scott, now now we're going we're going full circle. The uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episode where they found it was uh, uh, oh, someone's grandfather was a Nazi, yeah. and they had yeah, they the found the Nazi yeah. the Nazi uniform. That's a great episode. That is such a great episode. <laughs> was it? It was it was Charlie and Frank that found the found the uniform, right? Yeah, yeah. Charlie and Frank or Charlie and Mac. I thought it was Charlie and Mac, because weren't they? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's because Charlie and Frank were always, you know, hanging out together. Yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, I just was amazed by the the amount of people that were just like like earnestly trying to explain to Mike Mignola on Twitter, you know, how he was wrong, <laughs> his own creation. Yes, like I no. can understand. You know, somebody somebody did that. Like if, if some, you know, if if. Even if like Jim Lee did that with Batman, you know what I mean? Like I could almost understand the argument in the sense of like that's not your character. You didn't. But like, no one owns Hellboy. <laughs> like, it yeah. would not exist. It would not like that character. Everything that character has ever done has been under the strict guidance of one human being. You know, on the planet, you cannot. In any way, tell him what he should or should not do with that character. Like I, you know, but it, you're right. That was the pain that it, it, it forces these morons to, to spout out of because they're just like. And I tweet. I'm like, I have some bad news to you, you Trump fans or comic book readers. Most of the people who buy don't fucking want anything. To do. They yeah. can keep your money, and they can't afford to tell you to go. Fuck I, I kind of th that was kind of the message that Ted Cruz got about the Princess Bride last week, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like fuck off. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, this is my favorite movie. No, and it we don't be like about politics, and they're all just like, fuck no. off. <laughs> I loved it. What I want to see next is like I want to see like like Drew Struzan draw a Darth Vader with a Trump shirt on. <laughs> And then, like, the reaction to that. Darth Vader would never do that. Yeah, so it'll be like, what it'll really be is it'll be like Rorschach wearing a Trump t-shirt and everyone oh, will be like, like, yeah, it's right. <laughs> yeah, that no one will know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> some people will be, I mean, really be like, no, Rorschach, you're not supposed to like. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, it's you know, for a while, I was always like, how do you possibly read comic books for decades and come away with some of these sort of like, you know, like I said, even, even not political, but just sort of like morally questionable. Ideas. Yeah, the X-Men. How can how can you read the X-Men and be? Either racist or anti-immigrant, oh. or, or, or be like the X-Men. We're never about politics, or oh, not even politics. We're never about racism. <laughs> no, because it's not political, right? It's like stuff like <laughs> you shouldn't be racist. Uh, you shouldn't talk about race. The X-Men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't help people. This is a comic book. This is a <laughs> Wolverine needs to go, you know, kill somebody and fight Sentinel. Don't don't talk about race in Captain. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we are Captain America has gotten political. 
Well, we I mean, we're talking about the same people that idolized Rorschach and sit, saw that character as a hero. He's and was, it wasn't it Alan Moore that, like, the one time that he ever went to San Diego and it freaked him out. And there were people that are just like, you know, Rorschach is my favorite character. And he's just like, you need to get away from me, you crazy. <laughs> what, was the thing that, what was the thing Alan Moore wrote in that last League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen, like the fake letter from someone? I forgot what it was. I'm oh, looking that- it up right now. I don't remember. I've I've got a. I honestly, I'm bad bad league fan. I still need to sit down and read that entire series. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Here it is. It, uh, in the he wrote a fake letter. The letter reads, "Dear Alan Kev." As a middle-aged conservative incel sitting wedged between my keyboard, trolling Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with my Batman t-shirt covered in Pringles, can I just ask with <laughs> a straight face why you're leaving the comics business? <laughs> Yours. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm going to miss him. Well, this is, if that's what I mean. Like, I, you know, I, I, I get... You know, I, I mean... I can almost understand it in some sense, you know, in some ways. I try and empathize with people, but it's like I said, it's the idea of, of, of like reading comics about, like, how do you, what do you think the bad guys are bad for? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, why are the why are they fighting the bad guys? Why do you think that they wanted to keep the bad guys all these years, decades, yeah. decades of stories? Of these horrible villains, like although Hydra it's... isn't so bad. <laughs> there's some good the bad people. guys. There's some good. There's some good people in the region of film. <laughs> A lot of people that work for Hydra are perfectly good people. Well, you know, I you you say that, but you know how many how many villains have they turned into into heroes in the last? You know, a couple. Of, I mean, shit. Well, they that, made Juggernaut a good guy for a while. I was just gonna say, I'm like, I kind of blame Stan Lee to some regard because his villains always were sympathetic, and it's like that, you know, like, and, and you know, you go to the Rorschach. I could get it. Like, if you're, if you're sort of like a young, you know, anarchist sort of yeah. angry teen, you know, oh, yeah. in the '80s and '90s, and you read. Watchmen, I could maybe understand. I mean, as as vile a character as Rorschach is, and as fucked up a person as he is, there are certain like things about him that I could see people. He was a badass, and it was a cool costume, and he had yeah. he had his own like he 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 stood he up code. For whether or not it was right or wrong. He stood, you know, like he he died for for what he believed in. So I can understand to a certain degree. But it's like, at what point do you not get the fact that, you know, he's, he's one, you know, he was a very abused, fucked up mentally, you know? Like, yeah, this is a broken human being. Violent, yeah. you know, like, this is a good guy. I, well, I, can I tell you guys about, you know, I had to explain at one point to, to someone, someone very close to me that Starship Troopers with satire. Did I, did I, did I Really? I'm, like, I'm not yeah, a yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I explained to someone after they used it as an example of maybe 
you you shouldn't be allowed to vote unless you serve in the military. Oh, you should, you, you earn citizenship. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, and I'm like, you do understand that was satire, right? Yeah. yeah. The movie it's supposed to be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. like, it's, it's, it's like if you're gonna use the movie as as you know as an example, read the book first. You know. Well, no, the book, no, no, that's not true because the book is actually much more pro-war than the, the, the yeah than the movie i mean the movies definitely like takes that idea and pushes it to a ridiculous level of like yeah, yeah that was yeah. Very, like i mean he took the, that original story if you read the book it's not it's much more militant and pro-military which is in, well kind of sort i mean there's never even there's never a battle scene in the book yeah no but but it's but it doesn't have the 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 look. I mean, it doesn't have the sort of anti-fascist. Uh, no, 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 not not as not as. It was. I mean, that book was really about Korea. It was you know, the yeah. Korean War. So it's been a long time since I read Starship Troopers. Well, we Got might. Yeah, we should probably move along. We have a we have a uh, we have a guest. We do have a guest. We have a guest. You got a guest, baby. Oh, there goes entry. Right as as. Right, shut the door. <laughs> the Marta will yell down at me. Chris, shut the door. Because I yell. Shut All the right. fucking door. Uh, so, am I introducing our guest? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, uh, joining us now is the uh, the creator of uh, uh, God, how do you say it? I'm terrible. My, my Spanish, my Spanish is ter- terrible. It's Lamano del Destino. It's uh, the the wonderful Jason Gonzalez. <laughs> there he is. Hey, how's my it going? My Spanish guys? is terrible, hey. dude. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it's my. What are you from the Midwest, right? <laughs> hey, bud, how's it going? Oh, you know, living in Arizona during lockdown, so it's it's fantastic. Well, it's a dry lockdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I found out we're in like the the top tier of states that are having a resurgence of uh, tests for positive. So, number one, nice. Arizona, <laughs> number one, baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that we're number one, but we're in the top tier for sure. Yeah, nice. Oh, Wisconsin's not far behind you. Don't worry. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, I saw the map today. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I forgot you're out of Chicago now. You're, how's Wisconsin life treating you? Uh, I. I like Wisconsin more than I ever thought I would. Um, he's a Buck we, fan we, now. He's a Brewers fan. Oh yeah, just you know, <laughs> drinking beer, eating sausage, you know, cheese, cheese. We have cheese like three times a day. It's uh, uh no, it's 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 awesome. Uh, Milwaukee is. That's the big bummer out of out of all this COVID stuff is that this was like going to be the summer of Milwaukee. I mean, the 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 Bucks were, you know, probably I think. A, a, a real good shot to win the NBA championship and the Democratic National Convention and and you know, we had the Summerfest was going. I mean, there was going to be a real national spotlight on Milwaukee, and now that's not going to happen. So you know, I, I guess the 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 bright side of that is it's going to kind of remain one of America's uh, hidden treasures because Milwaukee's it's a, it's an awesome town. We we really enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah, I got to get out that far. I go to. What's it called? Uh, Columbus, Ohio, every year. Well, not this year, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I cut through that part of the country, but I never have never made it to Milwaukee. Do you just go to Columbus for the for the comic book museum? Uh, well, we do um, CXC and SoulCon. So SoulCon okay. is a black and brown creator convention. 
that happens like the day before. And then we move to CXC for the two days of CXC. But as part of that, we have access to the Billy Ireland and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's neat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone should go check that out. If you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, go to the, yeah. Yeah, go to the Ireland Museum. Columbus is cool too. It's like where punks go to retire. It's like a bunch of uh, you know over 40 dudes wearing Dickies t-shirts. My only problem with Columbus, there's no easy way to get there. No, it's a shitty town to fly. That's why I drive. Well, part of why I drive. Yeah. 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 And even driving there, there's, I mean, all roads lead to Columbus, but it's, I mean, it's not, it's, there's no direct route to Columbus. But uh, what I, I used to do some years is I would do New York and then do Columbus and then head home to Arizona. So it was a little easier, like kind of round trip cir- circuit, I guess, to do. Yeah. That, that's a drive. Yeah, you know, it was like two and a half, three weeks on the road. I'm a freelance artist. I can do that shit. You know, I work for myself. I only do my own drive. <laughs> which which uh, I actually, I don't have my, my Born to Bondspiel shirt on. I should, oh, yeah. I should have I worn that tonight. But um, you, I don't know if you realize it, but you are on the show every week. Oh, am I? Yes. Uh, so right over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. know if you... Hold on. I can see. Let me see if I can make this full screen. I can't make this full screen. Get cheaper. Oh, that Ape Sapien, right? Is that what's yeah. on here? It's one of my favorite Ape Sapien drawings. Let's get the glare there. Yeah. 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 But yeah, oh, very cool. Yeah. That doesn't suck as much as I thought it would have. <laughs> you know, as an artist, you love everything you do for 15 minutes. That was the, the best advice. Later. Yeah. And then all you see is your mistakes. That was the, the best advice I got in art school was, uh, look, man, you're going to love everything you do for 15 minutes. You got to either accept that or, or don't do be an artist. So Yeah. And it's never done. Art is never done. It's just abandoned. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But I, um, I, I subscribe to the uh, done is beautiful. That's like my you know, mantra when I'm, you know, my years of advertising and, and uh, working on in graphic design. It's just like done is beautiful. That's that's the most beautiful thing. You can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get it out of the world, you know. It's done. It's done when you invoice it. Yeah. Oh Jesus. That's you know part of the reason I got out of advertising is nothing's ever fucking done anymore. Like, you know, it's like people you get no. like these you know and fucking AEs will try to like manage you and be like, oh, it's due on Friday at like you know five o'clock, and so you like get into work at four o'clock in the morning just to make your five o'clock PM deadline because it's crazy. And you get it out the door, and you're ready to leave at five, and then at eight, he's like, "Oh, we got some changes from the client." Like, I thought it was fucking due at five. Like, I thought we had a hard deadline at five. <laughs> yeah, really? Really? Oh, yeah, no, I, I padded in some time so we could fuck around and I could have an opinion. Five, <laughs> uh, but my deadline is until eight. Yeah, I, I've when I was creative director, I told my AEs flat out, like, "Don't ever manage me like that. Tell me what the hard deadline is, and I'll fucking hit it." But if you ever tell me it's two days beforehand or some shit like that, I'll like, kill you. Yeah, I will make your <laughs> job fucking over. <laughs> I mean, when I was a creative director, I, I, I guess technically I could have fired people. I don't know. I, I had I had some authority. I had a corner office and a secretary and a staff, which was nice. But um, yeah, man, Don Draper's job is not cool. <laughs> I got the fuck out of there after six <laughs> six or seven short years. I had to walk away. <laughs> well, well I mean, you, I mean, you drink and and you know sexually harass your. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I caught the tail end of the the hookers and blow era advertising. Like I just I saw the very end of it, and then it became a whole different animal. Um, yeah, once everyone got Photoshop, it really fucked up how creative directors could function in in an ad. It, once like the clients learned a, a word like font or point size, like we were all fucked. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, like, it, I, stopped, yeah. it stopped being Mad Men and turned into, "Hey, can you put my son's head on this guy's body?" Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I learned early on that if a if a 
client slides over a napkin drawing, just do that. Like, yeah. don't bother trying to show them the better thing because they're never going to see the better thing. I've had a client send me um, like a Photoshopped, like a MS Paint <laughs> for an ad. That I was just like, oh, thank you. Yeah, we'll just run that. I'll just save this out as a J, or I'll save it out as, as a. I don't know part. what to do. I don't know what yeah, to do. Yeah, for, forget the education and years of experience. We're going to run with your idea. Yeah, funny. Funny. I thought uh, spending 27 years in the ad profession was, made me a professional. It turns out I had to be the oh, accountant at a movie theater, and that made me an expert. <laughs> Fuck those people. We had we had a CEO come come to our department and and start a conversation with. We're going to need you to lower your standards, <laughs> which is just right what you want right. to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, work, we worked for the for the king of make my make my logo bigger. And what's all of this negative space? We don't want to have a negative image. Uh, you know, I got really good at doing a, a pretty good song and dance about um, you know impact and and the efficacy of good work. That was a preface to. Um, presenting work to clients, right? And and I was I always advocated for discovery in the beginning and research and then executing against that and at least defining the questions that I was then answering and presenting creative that they had kind of crafted the questions with me. So it was kind of empowering them to feel like they had co-created it, even though I was just like getting them up to speed. I have a really good like branding uh presentation I do to explain like the difference between a logo and branding and what a comprehensive branding system is and how it functions and and uh, yeah, I mean, so a good chunk of what I do is like unpaid educational services for clients, but uh, it makes getting that getting good work out so much easier. Because like whenever you see, like, um, send me that in written form. So oh yeah, dude, I, I literally have oh, sent it to people. I, I'm I'm part of a Phoenix Designers, um, what's it called? A Phoenix Designers forum on Facebook, and I have sent over like how I put together logo presentations. I, I sent that over to a couple of people who've asked for it, so they can use it as a template to kind of like walk clients up to the the point where they understand what you're doing. You know, because more often, like it's all Jason crayons. Yes. Forget forget the comic book Kickstarter. You put <laughs> that on Kickstarter, you'll be a millionaire. Uh, dude, uh, <laughs> and I'm only kind of joking. How, yeah, you know, I thought about you, doing you like um, your clients that their ideas are are good. <laughs> you know, that, that's like uh, then again, you're you're managing your clients. You know what I mean? Like you can't really do that. All you can do is educate and elevate their standard and their metric for success, so that good work can come out. And you under you know and explain to them like when they give you I, I I invite in samples of things that they like, and then I dissect that for them in a way they can understand so they can put terms on what it is they're responding to in the work that they like, and then I can apply that to the things that I show them. I mean, it's a lot of handholding, but it gets good work out the door. You, you know, know it, it's interesting because I think honestly, serious question like do you think a lot of designers are frustrated because they you know it's like we all want to sort of be treated as the expert mm -hmm. but you know a lot of the job i think of a designer is is education is yeah for sure explaining you know it's difficult but but nowadays everybody's on like some um time management app you know like that's the the shitty that's the thing that really killed advertising is there's no time to just ruminate and think about stuff i love that line of Mad Men where uh, roger walks into his, uh, don's office and he's like it's hard for me to get used to the idea that most of what you do looks like you're doing nothing and that really is kind of like it you know like a lot of what i do is like research like looking up you know like um getting into the 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 
the markets that the clients are going to live in and see, see where the brand opportunities for brand equity are as, as long as uh, or uh, you know brand parity as well as areas of distinction and all of that and that's hard to build a client for like you know i'm going to give you 30 hours of research 10 hours of work to a logo that's going to cost you a chunk of change when you can go on fiverr and get a logo for 30 bucks you know it, it's just not valued what's that thinking is not valued yeah exactly what's well, like when you take your car to the uh the shop and you need like new engine mounts right they're eight dollar parts but it's going to cost you like six hundred dollars because they have to remove the engine to get that eight dollar part in there you know so it's a lot of labor it somehow doesn't translate to creativity especially when you have you know websites and, and places saying that they can give you oh we can do your brand for eight dollars or thirty dollars or whatever and and they and a lot of them don't see the difference between that that five dollar crapped out logo and the one that you spent a month crafting into a you know comprehensive branding system, and so I just explain the difference to people and and, and it's time that I won't get back like I'm not going to get paid for it, but I would rather do that so I can get good work out there. Uh, but I'm doing less and less branding these days. It's been, I mean, actually I'm, I'm currently working with two clients, but it's probably been three years since I've actively been in the ad world. I just walked away three, three years ago. This, this company, that. yeah, this company had like most of my time locked up and I just told them I was going to take a month off and then I kind of never came back. <laughs> so, yeah. so you, you, what are you doing now? Lucrative world of independent comic book publishing. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Because right. the real money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I can show you the Ferrari back, right? Those, those guys who were always like, let me show you my, my fancy ass car. Yeah. Uh, I can well, you, show were, you, my... you were working on this comic. Um, I mean, it's been years now. It's been um, a decade. Yeah. So I yeah. started in 2009. I had like five or six. I got, let's see. I got let go from McFarland in 2008. And that summer I went out with uh, pages, sample pages. And I think I had six or seven sample pages of, of a Luchador comic in there that was really got responded to well by editors and people I was talking to. So I, um, wait, was it? I think Dark Horse really wanted to see like what that would look like as a full issue. So they were very interested at the time. And so I, I fleshed out the full issue, took it back the next year. And um, I think Dark Horse passed on it maybe, maybe post Comic-Con. So then I had to wait another year before I kind of shopped it around. And then I got a lot of encouragement from a lot of cool people telling me that it was good, but they didn't have room for it in their schedule. So they were like, you should definitely tell publish this. So I just put my money where my mouth is, and I, I printed it out. First issue came out in 2011. I was in Diamond at first, though, so I, I lost a, uh, some time being in Diamond and then not being in Diamond. I had to, like, re-scramble and kind of figure out how, to, how that was going to distribute. So, And then some other shit happened in my life. Like, I broke my wrist at one point in time. I got sick for a while. Like, it's, yeah, it's been a long time. Well, it's what, one of the things I love about the comic, and, you know, Sal and I are, are both designers. Tom works in in agency. Um, there are comics out there that you can tell are made by designers. And it's it, it, some of the first, like, Hickman comics, because he, he was a visual designer before he was, you know, the, the comic book writer that we all know. And your comic has such an amazing design aesthetic and not just not just from like page layouts and and character designs and that kind of stuff but the entire graphic design pro process all the way down to printing i mean you are um pretty um 
I won't say pretty. I mean, you're very, very detail oriented whenever it comes to the to the printing process and paper stock. Um, you know, with this being a uh, an independent comic, was it a little bit easier for you to have exert total control on all of those choices, like paper and printing, and you know, all of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I did a book with Top Cow last year and, and I had ideas about paper and size and stuff and they they have a thing that they do. So like we do this thing, you know, like I luckily I got to wrestle at least the design away from them. So I got to design the entire book and then give the, a PDF over to Image and then Image printed the whole thing. But as far as like size and uh, paper stock and stuff, they were like, there's a thing we do and we're going to do it. Um, which I found out, and I think a lot of companies are like that. And, and, uh, for me, it was like, I really wanted the comic because it happens in the sixties to look and feel and even smell like an old comic book. So I knew it had to be offset lithography on newsprint. So it would be absorption print rather than evaporative. So the ink is in the paper, not on the paper. And you can, you know, smell the ink coming off. You can feel the tooth of the paper. I wanted it to feel like a relic of a time that never really existed. It's this alternate history of Mexico, you know, 1960s. And so I, you know, I go to great lengths to kind of have the blacks overprint the color. You can see that actual that you, know, you can see that the blacks aren't quite 100 percent you can see the color gain underneath it and the, there's all the picking that happens on the other plates aren't quite you know solid and, and they've shifted a little bit and it's funny because like my printer really thought there were mistakes and was trying to fix them the first time and then <laughs> i called me in and was like hey man there's like all this kind of going on and i'm like oh no you, made, you made it look intentionally imperfect you know yeah, it's, how yeah. you, it's how you wish the comics in the 1960s had been printed because this is way beyond the quality that those were printed at but this is how you wish that they had been printed i mean if i if i could have gone you know like a web press with actual uh you know steel plates like the way they used to i, I definitely would have done that but no but i mean like i would have had a pocket newspaper and to let me do that and they, they probably don't even do web press but so it's still i think it's still web press but it's not quite the um the same plate process it's because newspaper printing is um like flexo it's not offset like the plate actually makes contact with the paper yeah which is why when the plates slip there's a lot really a lot of you know room for wiggle and stuff because it's getting hit every time and so um it, it's just a little bit removed from that but you know, I, I just couldn't do it digitally because then you get the fuser code. Even if I did uncoded paper, there'd be the fuser code on there, and uh, and you would get uh, it would be, feel slick and shitty, you know. So I just wanted an experience. Like I wanted to give people an entire experience more than I just wanted to tell them a story. You know, something you can't get on screen, something you kind of have to hold a comic book for. Now, are you? Are you oh, go ahead, Sal. Oh, I was just gonna say I love this line, this page that I'm showing right now. Um, from it in the beginning, you have this sort of warning this caution at the bottom of it. And I love the line you write in here. You say, you're about to enter a world not completely unlike uh, that which you know, but still a place that may assail your sense of antiquity nonetheless. That is a beautiful <laughs> line, my friend. That is, that is terrific. I, and Thank you. And it really does sort of give you that that sense of what I think you're trying to accomplish, of like hearkening back to something that, is so good and it never really existed only in your memory it, you know what i mean as yeah. a kid of of the, the 70s and the 80s like i have these you know fond on memories that i also kind of know never really existed what's what's the stephen colbert book Look, looking at america through the rose uh looking through rose colored glasses at the america that never wasn't yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like so. I, I wanted this world to be an extension of like the, the Lucha Libre, the, the, the Mexico you saw in the old Lucha Libre movies, where everything was just super swanky and super modern. Like everyone had the best, most modern appliances and cars and everything. And that's just not the way Mexico was in the 60s. So, um, but I wanted to, to 
to make this that world where Lucha Libre is also the most important thing. But so that the line like that and that, that kind of warning page comes from a couple of things. One, it gives me the opportunity to write like Stan Lee because I, I wrote this entire book like it was written in the 60s, just like operatic kind of bombast that like people just don't like being able to write a line like the purveyor of purloined promises. It just it feels good. You know, it feels like comic books to me. But also I wanted to. Um, you, can't do, you can't do that if you're doing like a modern, you know, like slick sort of superhero character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people would just recoil at it. You know, it's like watching opera, right? Like everyone talked kind of colloquially, you wouldn't accept it as opera. It's like, I don't, I don't like opera in English. It seems weird because I can understand the actual meaning of the word and I'm not just swept up in the emotion. So this is my attempt to kind of obfuscate the language enough that you can just accept the emotionality of what's happening and not get Excelsior. caught up in like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no one said Excelsior ever, but it seemed okay in comics back then. But it also, it's, uh, um, you know, John Optic says that all great art has a need within it to confess artifice. And I, I'm trying to do that just from the up, just up front, like in the curated palette, the fact that like everything only has like 12 colors in it, you know, three of which are used on the hero. So by building an entire world on nine colors and, and the, the way the Silver Age style of drawing and the kind of, you know, exaggerated uh, modernity of this Mexico City, all of which is just a confession of artifice. It just lets you know this is a story so don't get caught up in realism. Like, don't compare this to anything. Don't evaluate it in fidelity to source material. Just evaluate it as the story that I'm telling you. When you when you work with a, a such a limited color palette like that, do you feel like that actually um, unleashes a lot of creativity? It, oh, I love rules, man. I love like when I had when I could do whatever I wanted. I wanted to hem myself in as much as possible, yeah. so I would have to think my way out of a corner, like because. Those are always the best like ads that I would do or the best graphic design I would do is when people were like giving me impossible things or they're telling me things like they want I want two peaks but no valley and all that shit. And I gotta figure out what the fuck that means as far as a mark goes, you know? <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I mean just being able to problem solve within these ridiculous confines always brings out creativity. I think that computer coloring and, and modern comic making allows you to be so fantastical or realistic that you can do anything and people do everything and it looks like nothing. So I, I think in limiting myself to like techniques you could only do in the 60s comic books, like there's no blends, there's no, uh, you know, there's no transparencies, like everything is just solid color that goes down. And it's these nine colors get used for the entire book, three of which or another three get used on my hero. How do I make that work to give you a diverse looking cityscape? And, and have it not just look all monochromatic, right? Like how, how can and, I and have it look like a 1960s comic? You know, I would go on press, you know, back in, you know, when I would do press checks, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a lost art. But I remember talking to press operators and, and this is as, as computer graphics or, and a lot of Photoshop techniques are, are, are coming, you know, into, into the print world. And he'd say, yeah, all these designers, if it, they think that if it works there and he's pointing at the computer screen that it works there and he's pointing at the at the printing press and he's like and it doesn't and and they and they don't they don't know i came up doing mechanical key lines oh yeah if you so. haven't burned yourself on a waxer you shouldn't you shouldn't do a press check right like if you don't know how to shoot a vlox on a, a stat camera or how to calculate out your type area you like talk about column inches to a designer these days like oh we bought 60 <laughs> column inches yeah, i I, show, I showed a new inches. designer a line spec like a type spec and they're like <laughs> yeah. what the hell is that <laughs> yeah i was on so i was trying to remember the type formula like remember you would have like a word count mm -hmm. and you have to order your type and you're like well i know my word count and my type area mm -hmm. so there's a formula that would give you what point size over what letting size would actually fill that area and you would have to order it from a type house get it back as a pmt wax it onto your mechanical artboard you know yeah. and then build your ads like that yeah, yeah I, I think that this 
what's it called? Uh, the generation, and I hate to be like real mad about this. It's part of like, you know, speaking of Kickstarter, so my exit strategy might be teaching one of these days. And what I really want to teach is kind of design theory, like like actual like design philosophy more than anything, because the world got so modern and and uh, schools and institutions were so pressured to get people just a skill set that was valid the day they got out of the school, right? Like I just need to get you a diploma where you know you have a skill set where you can actually just get a job and not necessarily teach you how to think about anything. So these kids are learning how to do so much, but they don't know why they're doing any of it. And and I think that like kind of like when you were cutting amber lift and when you were inking with your epitographs and French curves, like being that intimate with the work just built an understanding of it in a way that, that kids just don't have. And that some of them get it on the job or they'll have like mentors, but dude, I'm, I'm like the last generation that learned how to wax down a PMT or use a stat camera. Sure. And, and, and I'm, you know, 46, I'm a letter plate, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, mean, I still have my see-through type guy. I, I still have my eye loop. I've got my proportion guide, you know, <laughs> I was doing comic strip stuff the other day where I was actually, um, I got some uh, graphic border tape. I was actually, you know, taping down my graphic borders and cutting the miters on the corner so they made perfect 90 degree angles and stuff. You know, I mean, I still like that sort of thing. And it's just, it's a more intimate process with the artwork and, and, and more deliberate too. Like, you know, you you can, you can white out over ink and you can, you know, you know, cut a a plate and put it in there if you need to cover something up. But when you have the thought that like, oh, the ink is going down, you know, like it's going to be there kind of forever. You know, I also tattoo, so I have an idea of like doing stuff that you can't take back, right? So <laughs> I kind of have to think about it more than than just uh, than just like oh, I can just so, command Z that. So do you think this work um, with with a younger audience, with you know newer audience to, to comics? Uh, I mean, quality is quality. The good work is is good work, and it's going to be interpreted that way. Um, do you do you feel like it's Notice? Do you feel like it's accepted as as being a kind of a, a throwback a throwback style of, of comics, or are people just kind of like consume it? Uh, I think yes. I, I think people like my age or older like love it. They like they they love the feel of old comic books. Like I can I can see people go to look at it, and I can see them rub their thumbs on the edges as they're reading it, or or pull it close to their face to get a hit of that ink off of there. Um, and I think that kids like somewhere maybe like 25 less than that you know they kind of appreciate it because you know, they have a, an, a they've grown up in this like digital sterile world that they like kind of tactile things but there is an age group that's maybe like between 30 and 40 that just could not give two shits about it like they just don't like i had a kid trying to tell me that my printer was bad he's like look at this man you can see the color behind the black i'm like yeah that's the fucking point and he couldn't understand that, that was the fucking point he like, looked at me like what do, you, what do you mean that's the point i'm like yeah it's like it's supposed to look like an old comic book he had no frame of reference for it yeah. at all because it wasn't retro enough for him and it wasn't it, nor was it part of his own it's like you so. see those dollar bins over there yeah yeah exactly go, go, go diving yeah. yeah so uh there is a, a weird kind of gap in generations like my generation older loves it and then people like 25 30 ish kind of and younger love it but like 30 to 40 you know those dudes who just like uh grew up on image like those were their first comic books were like image comic books so all they've ever seen is like slick hyper detailed stuff and then all that computer coloring and stuff and honestly i just can't convert them like you know i my banner behind me is very an image of lamano like and you can see that kind of like overprinting and you can see that looks like an old comic book if someone just takes notice of it, it's like it's a it's a flag to see who salutes. If someone takes notice of it and comes over and picks my book up, they're generally going to buy like at least an issue. But there are plenty of people who just doesn't even register. Like they didn't even see that it was an image and just keep on walking. So and, and I know that even if I got them to stop and come over, they would just be like, huh, eh, okay. 
and then and go about their day. So I can't I can't convert the unconverted. I, I can't make them have an appreciation for it. And I know I know my audience, you know, and a lot of um, you know my younger audience is also like you know Latinx kids, you know, and, and even like even older Latinx like grandmas who uh, grew up on Lucha Libre movies, and then these kids who grew up with their grandmas watching those Lucha Libre movies, like they just have an affection for these characters and the subject matter. So it's it's a weird kind of cross section of people that I, I appeal to, but there definitely is a gap in people that just will never see it. And I, I just okay, nothing can be for everybody, and I'm okay with that. I think though there's like uh, with podcasts especially there's a there's a like we were talking about design there's an education process. Mm-hmm. I think as you, the more you talk about it, the more you know. I, and we've talked about these guys before, but the cartoonist kayfabe guy did this great job. Uh, this seems like a perfect book for them to you know. You need to get them to talk. Oh, they, about the they're friends of mine, and I they've mentioned they've shown my comics on their show before. I just posted on their Facebook page about it and let people know that the trade paperback is happening because they have been showing. Like a lot of people who saw it at first when I when issue six came out, I, I sent Jim and, and Ed uh, all six of them and they they opened it up on their show and talked about it for a minute. So a lot of people from there kind of know me. So when I posted on like the web page, people dug it. There's, a, there's an amazing thing that happens when you talk about it. You know, like reading it is one thing, but when you when you talk about it with the passion and the intelligence that you obviously have for this work and what you put into it, it it, it, it all of a sudden becomes like, oh wow, there's this there's this cool factor about it that I didn't realize. There's this something you know the the, the work and and heart that you've put into this, obviously, and what you're trying to accomplish is something that I think a lot of people can easily dismiss or just not get in any way. So the more you talk about it, I think is, is, is the better because. Yeah. All I'm trying to do is get people to check it out. Cause I find that um, you can sense the love on a thing. Like you can tell when someone loves the thing that they made. And if you just pick it up or check it out, you'll sense the love in it and it'll resonate with you or it won't. Um, but uh, that's a hard thing to get across like in, a, in an ad or just a post or whatever. So most of what I'm doing on podcasts and all the kind of press tour I'm doing right now is just like encouraging people to go check out the Kickstarter. Like there's a video on there. You can see pages. You can thumb through it. You can get a pretty good sense of what it is. And if it resonates with you, then you'll probably dig it. And, and if it doesn't, then you probably won't. So, like I don't – it, for me, it's just awareness campaign. Like I just want to get this in front of as many people like, hey, check this out. Like that, that's my entire sales pitch at a convention too. It's like I just say hi to people, and if they come up to my table, I'm like, oh, feel free to check them out. Let me if you have questions. Yeah. I, I don't really need to hard sell it, but a lot of people will open the book up and see kind of how distinct it is, and then they have questions. They're like, oh, what is this color palette? What is, what's going on here? Like what's the story about? Like – and and, and and those and then I get to have these kind of one-on-one conversations. Thank you guys for having me on a podcast where I can actually tell more than one person at a time my, my story. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just an emotional resonance thing with people, right? Like either you, you feel it or you don't, you know, and, and, and the book is talking about a lot of people. I mean, I think a lot of people want to connect with something, but necessarily they don't necessarily have the uh, information you know, to do so sometimes. Like, you know, the, the, there's a lot of static out there. Well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot to wade through. There's a lot of things to try and, you know, choose from that kind of thing. But also, it's like, I, I think people love a story like yours where it's, you know, this isn't just another comic book. You know what I mean? Like, this is something that you're creating for a specific reason. Like, there, there are very deep seated reasons and, and heartfelt emotions behind what you're trying to do. And, and, that's a really important thing for art, you know, that I think in, in the comic world is, is because we're so 
hung up on like the big two and, and superhero comics and Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and all that shit. Not that it's shit, but but like oh, dude, my, yeah, my comic is a superhero comic. Like it's a I like to tell people it's a comic book ass comic. Like for sure. And it does things you can only do in a comic book. And I take advantage of the medium. This isn't my movie pitch. This isn't my TV show pitch. This is the comic book that I made because I fucking love comic books. And I fucking love superhero comic books. But it is also extremely Latinx themed and it is but extremely authentic. But I think that in its specificity of subject matter, it gains a universality, right? Like because it's so specific in the, the style of the subject matter that the substance of it becomes universal. It's like when you tell a joke, it's always better if you like name people you're talking about. You're like, well, my coworker Karen or whatever. Like, you know, you always you have to. It, it's funnier when you're super specific about the the small details of your situation, and then it gains a universality. And I I, I think all storytelling is like that. You know, it, it, with the exception of perhaps the visuals, right? Like the, the more kind of abbreviated you get, the more universal those become. But w- when you're talking about like. The subject matter, I think, you know, the specificity of, of culture and authenticity has to be there because authenticity is kind of the new currency of, of, of the static age, I guess, that Chris was just talking about how there's so much static out there. It's like if it's authentic, people will gravitate towards it. If it's a money grab, people will just repel it instantly. Like we can all smell a money grab coming, you know, 10 miles away. We can see when, when Marvel brown washes some character, right? Like, oh, we're going to make this guy Latino and, and, you know, he'll say a Spanish word every five words or whatever. And then there's your diversity. And you're like, well, is it really? Like, or did you just kind of brownwash your previous character and, and kind of think that you were appeasing us? So, but then you have guys who like authentically will put people of color in their comics. And then you, you can see the difference between the money grab version of that and the authentic version of that. Do you think there's, a, there's also, you know, like a balance there that you have to sort of enact because if it's, you know, like Luchador is sort of a very, you know, there's so much culture, there's so much history, there's so many things that go into that. Can that also sort of be a hard sell to people that, you know, while it's authentic, is it, is it, can it be too authentic? Or can it, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I could be sort of deliberately opaque with it, or I could be like deliberately opaque or pedantic or really get into the weeds about the specificity, I suppose, and kind of focus on those sorts of things. But I, I think that the story overall is kind of universal. It's just a guy who made a Faustian bargain, and this is just the world that he lives in. But I, I would rather get the Lucha Libre right and have it appeal to the people who need the Lucha Libre to be right and then have the gravity of their enthusiasm pull in people who are only kind of tacitly interested in it then for me to anglify it in a way that would have broader appeal and then never appeal to the people who like authentic Lucha Libre but never being Anglo enough to fully appeal to like a broader you know four quadrant audience so I would I would rather get it to be like bad like what I'm sorry you You don't want it to be like bad barbecue you know whenever you go to a barbecue joint and it's all just like watered down for the masses and you're like yeah this is not good that's a terrible metaphor but that's kind of what i I I first thought of here's here's my metaphor for it i didn't want to make the chipotle of comic of luchador comics right yeah fair i would i would rather make the filibertos of luchador comics because like yeah dude filibertos is great authentic mexican food and and mexicans love it i I am one of them white people will come enjoy it too and those people who need chipotle can only handle that kind of level of spice then they're going to stay in fucking Chipotle. They can have their Chipotle. There's one on every fucking corner. Mm. But if you want, if it's late night and you want something authentic, come to Philly Bees. Check it out. It's going to be delicious. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Try the carne asada. It won't disappoint. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to be that because part of why I created the comic was exactly that reason, is that you would see Lucha Libre or Mexican culture and even Latinx culture broadly in American movies, and they always get it fucking wrong. 
you know, and it's always dusty and brown looking, and it's always like, you know, the American audience is like fetishized both the violence and poverty of parts of Mexico in a way that is damaging to our culture. So I wanted to present something that expressed our beauty, you know, because as a minority in America, I have to fight my fight, but I also have to express our beauty because I have to exemplify what it is I'm fucking fighting for. Mm-hmm. And so here was like my love letter to Latino culture, to Lucha Libre, to old Super Age comics and graphic design and all of that rolled into one. And like, here's the, here's the thing that, that is important to me in this pure form yeah. that your guys are getting the fucking Chipotle version of. So like, check it out or don't. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, I really, this was a pushback against seeing like luchadors in American movies who were like hitmen or bodyguards and didn't fucking wrestle. And they were always kind of oafish and dumb and like the kind of underlying sentiment was like, look at this dumb fucking guy. When those guys are my fucking heroes, you know? Like how dare they do that, right? So uh, I, this is my pushback on, on fucking sepia tone, brown, dirty Mexico you see in every, you know, cartel movie when, like, that has reduced Mexicans down to fucking cartel violence in J- J- Jason, we're from Chicago, so you don't have to explain um, modern culture fetishizing violence and poverty of an area. Exactly, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. disrespectful. And so this is my small little pushback against, That's you awesome. Know, that's awesome. uh, against all that bullshit. So, uh, and, and it's all I can do is just do it right, right? And, and, and you know, I, I easily could have called it like El Revenjo, and I, you know, but I wanted to call it La Mano del Destino because if you can't get past four Spanish fucking words, this comic isn't going to be for you. Well, and my Spanish is terrible. That is, I butchered your opening. So, no, no, it's yeah, fine. maybe I'm just not your target market. No, I, I, I love it. Uh, one of the things that uh, we haven't talked about with the with the Kickstarter with the 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 trade paperback production of this is that it's going to be a flip book. And so you're going to present it in in English, and then you can flip it over and have it available in in Spanish. One of the things I was going to ask, because I'm flipping through here, you are are great at using a lot of sound effects. So mm-hmm. does a word like wham have a Spanish equivalent, or is wham bilingual? <laughs> the, the, the sound effects are going to remain in how they are, and I, okay. I don't think I, there might be like a grab. So that'll get changed to the Spanish word for grab. You're like, again, okay, I was wondering how you handle um, that with, yeah. In the, in the uh, sorry, I had to scratch myself. Sorry, I'm trying to like not block the camera while I did um, something bit me. Uh, sorry. Um, the, uh, what is going to happen in the English version of it, the ones, the, the, you know, the six issues that are already out, um, there's a little bit of Spanish. Like there's the occasional Spanish word that happens sure. in there. You know, like uh, he'll say like, you know, like what the hell or whatever in Spanish. Uh, those are going to be, English in the Spanish version, so I'm just going to flip flop them. So there's going to be a tiny bit of English in the Spanish oh, that's version. Funny. Yeah. So that's actually. that's my the only kind of. Thing. And then I I have gone and looked through the sound effects, and I think the only one is like grab. I think is the only sound effects that I use that has to get changed into Spanish. But everything else is, is like just a word make, word. Wham or blam or slam or or whatever. Whip thud. Yeah. Like <laughs> I think full bonk. That's yeah. that's universal. Oh, speak, speaking of sound effects. Um, the one of the greatest sound effects ever in comics is Thwip, and oh, yeah, yeah. you have one of the greatest comic book themed tattoos Thank I've you. ever seen. Yeah, I've got. I don't know if I can actually show it. So I've got Thwip tattooed on the inside of that finger, and then I've got a spider web tattooed on the inside of that finger. So when I do the Spider Man thing, you can see Thwip and the spider web coming out. Yeah, is that spider- not an awesome, awesome tattoo? Spider Man is the reason that I do ta- I do comic books. So I, I when I wanted to get a. a a uh, comic book tattoo it was going to be something Spider-Man for sure. I mean, I have since I've got Lamano's eye on my hand, but um, yeah, this is my comic book hand now. But yeah, the, the flip and the, the spider web. I've shown other people that like get jealous. Like, they're like, fuck, I should have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, flip is probably the best sound effect ever. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Snicked is maybe a close second, but Thwip is so universal. I would love to, like, if I ever got to do a Spider-Man comic, like, this is part of my, you know, if I ever got a job at Marvel and they offered me a Spider-Man book, I would just call it Thwip. That would just be the title of the book. Yep, Thwip. Be fantastic. That's awesome. But I don't, awesome. When I talk to, like, the big companies like that, I never talk about their A-list characters. Like, I don't, I don't want to do Spider-Man or Batman or any of that shit, because all you can do is fuck those up. I'm always like, give me like these C and D level characters, because all I can do is make that better. Like I've got, I got a Buana Beast pitch ready to go if DC ever calls. I've got a Sunfire uh, pitch ready. To go. Still Jack Kirby, Jimmy Olsen move. Exactly. Yeah. Don't give me your best book. Give me your worst book, and I'll show you what. I'll, I mean, it's kind of that, but I mean, you know, even Todd McFarlane started with like you know Coyote backup, you know Scorpio Rose stuff. You know, like all you can do is make that better. You can't fuck that up. I mean, that was Remender. I mean, what he was doing, um, uh, like Brother Voodoo, you know, yeah. whenever he went over to Marvel. So. Yeah, because those guys aren't tied up in like tie-ins and crossover bullshit. You know what I mean? You give me Sunfire, I'm gonna give you six solid issues of Sunfire fighting fucking kaiju in the '60s. You know, like it, the Sunfire pitch I have happened <laughs> between Giant Size X-Men Annual number. Oh, sorry, it's uh, what is it, X-Men number like? Fuck, I can't remember, like ten or eleven. Where he tries to blow up the White House, mm-hmm. and then the next time you see him in the X-Men, he's gonna be an X-Man for giant size, right? There's like, mm-hmm. there's he's a villain who like had been duped by his uncle, kind of sees the error in his ways, and goes like, ah, fuck, I gotta get out of here. And then he shows up, and he's gonna be a hero. And so I just want to tell that story between like, I was a villain to I'm a hero, and how he kind of decides to be that guy. And and honestly, yeah, like Marvel calls and wants to do that shit. I, I'm all about that Sunfire comic because you can't fuck up a Sunfire comic, you know. But uh, yeah, but give me Spider. I mean, I, I would have to have a much better reputation to do something. If I wanted to, the books I'm going to do now for anybody, I want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. I don't want to get roped into like, oh, it's got to start here and end here and feature these characters, but you can't use these guys. Like, ah, fuck all of that nonsense, man. The editorial's ruining comics. <laughs> How do you really feel? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, I think that, you know, we've gone from comics being like an artist's medium to a writer's medium to now it's an editorial medium. And even now it's and now it's becoming a brand manager's medium, mm-hmm. right? It's just about like making it look like the fucking movie. I mean, like the two biggest entities in our industry are only tacitly involved in comic books. And one of them might be walking away from it. Like, what does that say for our industry when like 75% of the material that comes out is by two groups that don't give a shit about what they're putting out? Really, they're just trying to like not go broke and, and uh, maintain their IP. So, I mean, but but because of that, they keep the lights on in the comic shops that allow something like Lamano Del Destino to shine. You know, so I, I can't exactly. just their right to exist. All I can do is do better shit because I'm not tethered to that corporate fucking juggernaut. Or try to do better, I guess. Sorry, that was a bit of a fire I feel like we got off subjects. <laughs> I, don't know about that whip, I don't know about that Twip series coming anytime soon after that comment, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. No, no one's going to yeah, hunt this down. Maybe they will. I don't know. That'd be great. That, I'd be a good position to be in. It's like they announced my Twip series, and they're like, hey, did you hear what Gonzo said on fucking around comics like 10 years ago? Like, I'll be like, you know, 50 years old. Yeah, I'm 46. Really? I'm going to get a good break at Marvel or DC at this point in my life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Exactly I'm be... why you should. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. So, so the Kickstarter. How much? Uh, how much time we have left? Uh, so, because my audience is so niche, I ran the Kickstarter for sixty days because I knew it was going to be me basically hand selling comics to people out in the world. And this this demographic I'm kind of like trying to serve, like this underserved demographic of Latinx comic fans, 
has been neglected by the mainstream for so long that their ears aren't even out for messaging. Like they're not on CPR, they're not all listening to podcasts. Like they're mm-hmm. they're so far kind of removed from the comic game that that I know I have to go to them, and they're never going to come find me. So I'm giving myself 60 days. I believe I've got 45 or 50 days, maybe. I think 45 days. I think it's less than 40 now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you say that about about uh, Latinx comics, and it's like I think whenever you whenever you say that, everyone's like, uh, Love and Rockets? Question. Yeah, mark? exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, no, they're great, but. Oh, they're awesome. that, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, but that's the thing too is like people who read, you know, like uh, uh, what's it called, fantagraphics type books, right? Mm-hmm. They've been conditioned. Like I love Gary Groff, but he's fucking beat into them that capes and cowls are dumb and don't do it, right? So people who engage with Love and Rockets may or may not like my comic book. But here's the kind of kicker of that: and the fucking Hernandez brothers love my comic book. They're friends of mine. I see them at shows all the time. We do Latin comic festivals all the time. They're there. They dig my shit. And like the day I met them, they were like around my booth checking it out before I walked up. I'm like, hey man, we dig your shit. So that's not intimidating. Oh, the dude, I didn't know what the fuck. Like I was trying, like, dude, I, I rounded the corner. Like there's, like it was all three of them, right? So uh, they were all around my booth just checking it out. And I'm like, hey guys, what's up? <laughs> just like said that. <laughs> and in my head, dude, I, and I know this is the dumbest thing to think. I, in my head, I thought I had done something to offend them, like something that like. One of my characters overlapped with their characters, or I used a word they had used or something. I thought they were going to have some problem with me. Like, hey, man, you know, like X, Y, or Z, and I was just going to have to pack my shit up and leave because when the Hermanos brothers have a problem with you in a small show, you, you got to go, you know, like they're not kicking them out. So I was fully expecting like, oh, I guess they get kicked out of the show. You know, I don't know what happened, but, you know. But they were like, they, they dug my stuff. And yeah, it's uh, they're cool dudes, man. I, I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're all about fucking, like, they're all about the things that their company kind of denounces, which is kind of ironic. But their their comic itself is a synthesis of all of those influences kind of put into to what they do. But yeah, I, I would say they are the high watermark of all, you know, Latinx comics, though. So. Sure, absolutely. Well, we need to get, get wrapped up here. Um, so uh, real quick, the um, kind of last, uh, uh, last word on the Kickstarter, how much time we have left on it, where to find it, and uh, um, just a quick wrap-up on that. And I'm all, I've already backed it, so I'm looking forward to it. I hope it happens. So yeah. we're doing well. Just go to Kickstarter and search Lamano Del Destino. Um, I'm on their like uh, projects we love kind of category. So if you go like just to uh, Kickstarter, if you go to um, what's it called uh, the, the comic section, I should be within one of those little tabs that has like projects we love. But yeah, just check out Lamano Del Destino. Just just search for it on the site. There is a URL, but it's like really long for me to give out to people. Kickstarter. The, the, the video is really well done and really comprehensive about the entire project and the process. So if you have any questions, I'd say just just watch yeah. the video. It runs everything down really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. It also has all of my social media. At the ver- the very last title card, there has my all of my social medias on there. Follow it, and even if it's not for you, if you could just share it, just because this project is so niche, I'm just trying to get the word out for people. So, you know, for 15 bucks, you can get just a PDF. If you don't want a 400 page book at your house, you know, I understand that. But for 35 bucks, you get the entire book. You know, and there's also some like you know, doodle levels and other things. A lot of stuff is sold out right now. Like my higher tier level stuff is kind of selling out. Like the mask right now, you can only get that custom made, handmade, professional quality mask. Um, you can only get that with the also with the custom art piece, you know, like with the commission. So, unfortunately, it's like the highest high tiers, but that's the only way to get that mask. Those sold out way faster than I thought they would. But that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's some good shit in there. Just, just buy the book if you if you if you're so inclined. It's 35 bucks for 400 pages. Like, 
you know, I knew that. probably a better deal than that. So, yeah. And also, like, I'm not making a cent on this thing. Like, I'm not paying my page rate. I'm not trying to, like, make a huge profit on it. I literally just did the math on, like, what it costs to print them, what my, you know, my per unit cost would be on that, broke that down, uh, added all my tax on that, and then added on Kickstarter, and then added on my shipping, which is why that, that goal amount is so very specific, because that's the fucking number, like, right there. That's what I need to make. <laughs> Not a dollar more, like if I can't, you know, but it's also shows people like I'm banking on myself. Like I could have taken this to, uh, I've had offers from other bigger companies to put it out, right? But they don't want to do, they don't want to serve this audience. They don't want to do the bilingual version. They don't want to do it on newsprint. They just want to do the things that they do and put it out in the world. And it's going to, you know, again, it's like anglifying it in a way that I'm not comfortable with. So fuck it, man. I'm, I'm banking on myself here. I'm asking, you know, if I don't make the entire goal, then I don't get to do it. But I feel like there's an audience enough to support this. We're like 40% there, like right now, or, or close to 40% there. Still have way more than half the campaign to go. So just get the word out, even if it's not something you want to you know, partake in. Uh, but if it is something you want to partake in, I, I think I've got some good tiers there. That's awesome, man. I hope it's, I, I'm confident it's gonna, it's gonna be kicked and uh, and I'm looking forward to to reading it in its its entirety and its paper form. So I've got, I, I have I have various issues. I done get them out! Put an MT5 kit on there. That's so dope. Is it an honor of my hair I got going on? Today? Sal does love his stingers. All right. Well, Jason Gonzalez, Gonzo, thank you yep. so much for joining us. Um, really for looking me. forward to this. It's, yeah. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate the help, guys. You guys make it easy. Try and come as much as possible because I think you add so much. Like listening to you talk about the book and the passion you have for it and the and the, the craftsmanship that goes into it. I think can only help. Like get it, uh, you know, get people interested in it. So, so please, you know, I'm trying. Yeah, I've got. I'm doing my press tour now. Some some podcasts are coming out next week. Uh, I'm also going to try to get on YouTube. So, if you go to take on the art on YouTube, I think next week I'm going to do some like live drawing, maybe auction off the things that I'm drawing, and uh, answer some questions because I've had a lot of people kind of ask, like, want to do like a Q and A thing, but. I just I had a, I'm trying to set it for like the best time possible. So because yeah, I'm on you know Arizona time is kind of a weird time zone, but uh, yeah. So ch- you know, follow me on 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 YouTube on Jay Gonzo Art, and uh, I will be on there this drawing and answering questions. I'm gonna try to get out as much as I possibly can too. So thank you. It's awesome. All right, guys. Um, All right. Thanks, thanks bud. Have a good one. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. Yeah, Jason's a great guy. A long-time listener of the show, and uh, and he's been working on that book for a decade now, and and you can tell the absolute labor of love of his. So quality, yeah, quality stuff. Listening to him talk about it was, you know, like just so interesting, and, and the 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 work that he puts into it, and what he's trying to accomplish with it is really just, you know, I think people love that kind of stuff. You know, like you you. you mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about sort of like um, universal. You know, like what what are things that, that we can all, no matter where we come from or what race we are, or whatever. Like the universal, like you know, like authenticity and passion. Like that's what we're all looking for. We just want people to be honest and authentic and them, their real selves, and not like feel like they have some sort of agenda or or hidden thing or like just you know, if, if you're passionately being who you are and, and doing something and putting it out in the world, I think people respond to that, you know, yeah. like, and then all, you make, and then whenever you combine that with a level of talent that, yeah, is, yeah, 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 that that's sure. when something special happens. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I was like, like, man, you really like, 
like you sent us the book. He sent us the book to look at, and and I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't have the time. I forgot about it a little bit, and I didn't have the time to really study it that much. And so I didn't have the appreciation for it that now I have. Like after listening to him talk about it, it's like, oh wow, this guy really, this is really interesting. Like what he's trying to do here is really an interesting thing. And and you know that, that that's the beautiful thing about podcasts is like listening to someone, the ability to listen to someone talk about what they're trying to do, and not in the way of like breaking down the story or explaining it to people, but just like going expressing their passion for it. Yeah, man, that's, that's powerful shit. Like I love that yeah. stuff. I love, I love that with stuff that I don't even understand or, you know, like that I have no connection to. Like I can still connect to somebody that does something that I don't get. Mm -hmm. you know, like the perfect example, like a dude at my gym today, uh, I found out I had no idea he was he, he's like a trained chef and and like sitting there and listening to him talk about cooking is like that's fucking you know it's just like it, it, it gives you a, a whole different appreciation for something you know what I mean that I don't you know like I barbecue but I'm not a chef I don't know like uh, you know you Chris have spent some time you know doing some some really great cooking but it's like even if it's nothing I'm ever going to do, I can still relate to like the passion of you it. You can have an appreciation yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 powerful stuff. So that's why I'm like, dude, you gotta, you have to get on as many podcasts as you possibly can and <laughs> talk about this because that's really what's going to connect. Because it's it's a, it's a you know, be honest about it. It's 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 a niche kind of thing. You know, it's niche. <laughs> yes. So, but what he is trying to do is something that everybody can appreciate. And well, you know, and something that he something that he that he mentioned, and it's something that we've been talking about since forever. Um, since there was the the diversity push in comics, and it's always something that you know when when Sal and I talk about it off off camera off mic something that we kind of shy away from talking about the show because we in no way want to come off sounding like we are in any way um, um, sympathizing with the comics gate perspective. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? But, but there is, there is, and I didn't know the, the term for it, but there's, you, you can tell when something is being brownwashed. And, and that's, you know, I'd never, never heard of things being brownwashed when it, you can, you can feel an inauth, inauthentic, eh, when something is inauthentic and, and that. Yeah, I don't know, dude. I have, I mean, I'll be honest with you as a person that is, is, you know, uh, I mean, I, well, we got two times. What? <laughs> and they both look tired. <laughs> I heard Comicsgate, my computer just shut down. <laughs> I mean, I. <sighs> it's hard. It's a hard subject because you, you know, and it's like me as middle-aged white guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it from, from the worst. You know, the the worst place. You know, I'm half Mexican. I, half my family is you know in Texas. Southern Texas. I, I grew up going to Texas, you know, every summer of my life, spending my life around Mexican culture, eating Mexican food, you know, and I understand 
the ideas behind what you know he's sort of talking about and, and the Latinx and I get that. At the same time, I grew up in suburban Chicagoland in a very, you know, kind of conventionally white life. You know what I mean? And I look, I don't look, you know, it's like I don't, I, you know, most people thought I was Greek or Italian. So it's not like I grew up other than my last name, which I, I definitely dealt with a certain amount of racism because of my last name growing up. But the reality is like, I, you know, I probably identify more white and mm -hmm. Caucasian than I do Mexican or at least as much. Um, so it's a weird thing. It, it's, a, it's an odd thing for me, honestly, these conversations and this sort of the, the, when that stuff is brought up because I, on the one hand, I completely empathize and understand it and, and, appreciate it but on the other hand it's like why do you not want to like you why do you not want to share the beauties of your culture with other people like well, i like I, I, I think i think that was kind of jason's point is that is that he's like yeah but, if it's just going to be like a passing you know thing that that really isn't authentic he went out and made his comic that he that he's like, I'm going to go make the authentic no, deal. And, and, yeah. and I appreciate that, but it's like, mm -hmm. on some level, it's sort of like this this indignant thing of take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that's sort of where I like I have, I always kind of go back to Bruce Lee about this, which is a weird, you know. With, I know. Oh, with Tim, with who? Bruce Lee. Oh, Bruce Lee, okay. Like Bruce Lee's idea of sort of like, I'm going to show you the beauty of Chinese culture. I'm going to share it. I'm going to, I'm going to make you appreciate the beauty of my culture by being extraordinary, and 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 being inclusive and trying to, you know, like he he fought to teach everyone. Like that was a very like martial arts at that time. You know, he's talked about it. He's written about it. Like he was not supposed to teach white people kung fu. But he was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to I'm going to do what I want to do because I want people to appreciate the beauty of our culture. And they're not going to do that if we're closed off. And so that's where I sort of run into the problem of like, I understand trying to be authentic, but it almost seems like it, it gets to the point of like this sort of indignation of fuck you. If you can't accept 100% of what I do because I'm black or brown or yeah. Asian or whatever I am, uh, then I don't need you or I don't want you. And it's almost, it, it, and it just seems like self-destructive in some ways. And I don't know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for anyone else. I'm not trying to, to tell anyone how they should live or, or how they should do things or anything like that. I'm just explaining my own personal sort of like weird kind of experience because I wasn't, I wasn't Mexican enough to be accepted by Mexicans and I wasn't white enough to be accepted by white people. Yeah, I, I yeah. always lived in this sort of in-between thing um, where I, I, I sort of had to be my own kind of person and not really identify or, or really 100% um, gravitate towards either side of it because it, it, it's, it's this bizarre world like... Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not enough of either side of it. 
And so I just find it strange sometimes of like, how do you expect people to accept and understand and empathize with you if you're closed off? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it will never happen, you know, cause that's, yeah, and then, and it's, you know, it's just like, I get what he's doing. I get like the pride and the, the, um, you know, what he's trying to accomplish. And I appreciate it a hundred percent, but I also feel like on some level, your, your pride is, is getting in your way. And pride's not a good thing. No matter, like pride is not beneficial in any way. Yeah, I, I 100% believe that. I think pride is not a good thing. Uh, no matter what, I mean, like, like, not that you cannot be proud, but I think pride fucks with people and makes people make really bad decisions and and do things that are harmful to them. Goes before a fall. <laughs> yeah, I just know I feel, man. I don't know. Tom's like, I knew I someone mean, was going to say it. It was probably going to be Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. We are going to let Tom go to bed because he looks like he's about ready to. Very to tired. Guys, yeah, you look very sleepy, Tom. I'm very sleepy. <laughs> the kids are I'm running you. They're, they're running you down, man. <laughs> are you out tom i'm out okay well, i'll tell you what what's uh let's go ahead let's go ahead we'll uh we'll fit it we'll we'll wrap up the show here um oh uh uh book of the monthish um club club it's, it's not really a club. oh yeah who's waiting your pictures i think it's mine because we had because yeah. tom had done uh tiananmen right yep That's so uh, I picked one out. It's um, uh, it's available on the the Hoopla as well as any uh, fine comic book purveyor or uh, or online. Uh, it's one. It's a blind spot in my of mine that I I wanted to read and okay. and just didn't pick it up. Uh, you guys probably have already read it, but uh, I did not read Sean Murphy's uh, Batman White Knight. Ooh. I did read it. The first one you're talking about. Yep, I'm on because I've not read any of them, and I was just like, you know, that I just missed it whenever it came out, and I think I maybe got an issue and didn't get the collected version. But uh, Batman White Knight uh, by Sean Murphy, and cool. uh, like I said, it's it's available on on Hoopla and um, uh, Amazon. Your local comic shop probably has a trade paperback of it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to I'm, it. I'm really interested. I did read it when it came out, but I'm really interested to read it again and talk to you guys about it because there's it's a, it's, it's an interesting book. It's an, there's a lot of things, you know, like socially that I think it kind of can can be discussed with that. Yeah, book. it sounds interesting. And I like Sean Murphy's work a lot as a writer and an artist. I'm I'm honestly shocked that that book didn't sort of kick off more discussion about it. I was kind of surprised that there wasn't more talk about that book, uh, considering how much, you know, sort of like politically, I think there, there is in that book. Cool. And even the title alone, you know, yeah. is, is an interesting, uh, you know, thing and yes yeah, so I, 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 i've been very surprised that that book didn't 
create more conversation. Cool. Well, maybe that conversation starts now. That's right. God damn it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so pick up your copy of uh, Batman White Knight. We'll try and get that read and talked about uh, here in the next month. So here, you know, a couple couple episodes from now, hopefully. Um, uh, in the meantime. Oh, in the meantime, we're going to be everywhere in Hello, Brown